Hey everybody, it's your old friend John Luna with another fine, fine episode of the RFC Minicast. Joining me two, yes two, uh, illustrious members of the RFC team, Rob Clay and XB. How are you guys? Not fine, full. <laughs> yes, we're recording this like right after the dinner hour. Yes. Um, we're, had, we're actually late today because I was eating dinner. Yeah, that's okay. That you got to savor your food. Oh, uh, good. Yeah, when it's good. Um, today or tonight or now, we're going to discuss kind of a uh, a post mortem, if you will, on the first attempt by Play with This to to get their uh, Lost Protectors toy line funded. XV and I talked about this a few mini cats ago when the uh, Kickstarter was about halfway through, and if you didn't know. The Kickstarter didn't make it. Close, but didn't make it. And both uh, Rob and XV penned a mighty fine summation of the Kickstarter once it uh, came to a close. And again, swung and missed. So I wanted to bring both of you guys on to just kind of discuss the article that you guys wrote and discuss Play With This too once more because I'm sure there are endless aspects of this uh, Kickstarter that we can discuss and Hopefully, hopefully we'll see this Kickstarter um, again in a different mm-hmm. form. So I'll hand it over to you guys. What, uh, what did, what would you say? Like your it was the main message or messages from your article, and what did you guys kind of discover once you peeled the layers back on the Kickstarter? I think the main thing that we discovered is that it was just a little bit on the overcomplicated side, and also top heavy. It, it's you know it, it was very much geared towards people who would want a lot of of figures and just the complexity of it. I had not actually taken a close look at it until I started writing this. Until we started writing this, and I I was I was actually startled by by the <laughs> number of pledge levels. Um, ca- counting the one like long shot sixteen hundred dollar pledge level, we're talking thirty eight levels. Ranging from one to nine hundred dollars with a one person sixteen hundred dollar slot, <laughs> and yeah, like we said, very, very, very much top heavy. I mean, they they got about seventy four thousand dollars out of four hundred people. That is an average of one hundred and seventy some dollars person. Mm-hmm. And you know that I ultimately, I think what we uh, what we decide or what we thought would be you know, helpful when they hopefully try again is just simplify, simplify the pitch, give fewer options as to, you know, a mix and match, just, you know, have a, have a $55 pledge level that is figure and then let people specify when order time comes around Mm -hmm. because just, it's it's a mess. It, it's it's a very creative mess, but it it just it, it's really difficult to follow. And like I think, okay, so you know, for the way they're trying to do this, where they're trying to get, I think it was um, four figures produced initially, including recolors. Um, you know, I understand that there is kind of an organizational issue that needs to be addressed, and it's either going to have to happen on the user end or on the company end. Ultimately, they chose to have it all happen on the user end and have the multitude of pledge levels to specify and basically do like a shopping cart thing with that, where I think it really needed to be on the organization end 
to go through afterward because um you know for anyone who hasn't done a kickstarter at the end the uh people who are who organize the campaign can send out uh they call it a survey but it's usually used as more like a uh a post campaign update system just to keep everybody who pledged informed and uh with the bmog kickstarter that was actually used to conduct the voting for what the kickstarter exclusive color would be and there's no reason that they couldn't make use of that system as well to uh collect people's uh collect the figures people want uh it would just be it would be more on them than it would the user end but it would keep the front of it's more simple and probably more approachable i think yeah i think uh, <clears throat> i think uh the simplicity lack of there was mm. something that we kind of honed in on almost immediately xv and it actually got worse as it went along because they added yeah, they tears. Added. yes yeah. they, they added tears so my personal story of like confusion and kind of that kind of backfiring. And again, this is all like constructive criticism, I feel. Of course, of course. Good. Yeah. So I initially I wasn't going to fund it, but then I decided uh, I, I respect the effort. I think I will fund it at some level. So I, I funded it um, at one of the levels that was pretty high and not not super high. OK, I'm not that guy at the top, but <laughs> but but it was pretty high and it, it was based on the initial. 20 odd levels, whatever it was initially. And I was overspending because um, the level that I picked, it was more than I wanted to spend, but it was the closest thing to what I actually wanted. Mm-hmm. Now that's not great. Okay. That's not, that's not a great feeling. First of all, mm-hmm. as a pleasure, knowing that this isn't exactly what I want. I am overspending. So that's not, <clears throat> not warm and fuzzies. And I don't think as a Kickstarter, um, somebody holding a Kickstarter, you want your pledge pledges to be like kind of half-hearted or or conflicted but it is what it is so so i i had stretched myself a week or so later they introduced new levels at every almost every tier they were layering in pledges they weren't going on the high end or the low end they were going every everywhere on their spectrum they were adding alternate choices well it turns out they added a level that was exactly what i wanted but it was about half the a dollar amount that I had pledged. Mm. So I revised my pledge and they lost half my money. Right. Because they, unfortunately for them, but fortunately for me, they actually hit on an option that I wanted. But in the process, they lost my money. At so, the same time, I'm sure they gained some people who couldn't find that option they wanted and didn't want to, you know, uh, make that kind of a commitment otherwise. Yes, that would certainly be like the the hope that you would net out positive on that. Mm-hmm. But um, so so one thing that's interesting here, maybe this is something that uh, that uh, they they've clearly hopefully learned by now. Um, I was actually listening to another podcast, a, a TED podcast. So that's technology, entertainment, and design. And they have lecturers on <clears throat> every week, and they speak based on their discipline technology entertainment or design one guy and i forget his name but i'll look it up and i'll actually tweet the link to this one because it's a good lecture to hear is an expert in marketing and specifically choice so by human nature um many there's lots of research on this on various products and things like this uh, in different categories and things like that turns out humans in general the more choices they have no matter if they're better choices if they're uh, ideal choices, uh, 
just by sheer number, the more choices you have uh, in any decision, the less satisfied you will be with the decision you make. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Because you have a natural tendency to second guess. And the more, and again, the more options you have placed in front of you, even if you do pick objectively the quote unquote best decision for you and it is the best outcome for you, you are more conflicted and less satisfied with that choice because there are so many other options that you could have chosen and your brain uh, is quite aware of that. So, so again, like going back to my personal story, I didn't feel good like about, about backing it. And that's a huge problem. Yeah. So I actually have a, a, a question related to the, the toys themselves for you guys that I want to bounce off you guys. So mm-hmm. XV, you and I talked a, a couple weeks ago or a few weeks ago at this point when it was still going about, um, about the selection of, uh, pretenders as kind of like the catalyst for the project. It was very much like a pretenders, third party pretenders line. And then over time it kind of morphed into something more, something else with all these references to, to pop culture and eighties toy lines. It became something more ambiguous if, if anything. Mm-hmm. Um, we know that probably turned some people off, turned some people on, made them comfortable. But I want to bounce it off you guys specifically. I want to ask you guys about using Skullgrin as the face of the toy line for effectively forever. It was the only like actual toy I think we ever saw or things like somewhat either, either him or the toys that were more or less directly related to him. He was the face of the Kickstarter the entire time. Mm-hmm. What do you guys think? Do you guys think how do you how do you guys think that positively or negatively impacted them? One, the choice of Skullgrin as the face of the Kickstarter, and two, obviously the fact that during this whole time we effectively only saw one toy out of all these options. Uh, well, Rob, I mean, I voiced some of this on the episode John and I did previously. Why don't you Why don't you start? Um, I'm not really. Sure, honestly. I mean, Skullgren's a good, distinctive design, but, you know, th- this is just this is just kind of a weird place because most of the things that g- go to Kickstarter that I have seen are not in the third-party vein in that they are not usually based on previous designs. Most toy lines I've seen that uh, go to Kickstarter are something a little bit more original, so... You know, you you can say a lot of things about third parties, but they do produce a product first and put it out there and then get people to buy it. And I don't know how much of a difference it makes if, you know, you have people appealing to you to try and make something like that ahead of time rather than just saying, hey, here's a, here's a new version of Skullgrin. It's going to be available soon. I don't know, you know, I think in terms of, you know, having more actual like hard copies of figures to show that might've been, it might've been good or it might've confused things even more. It's, it's kind of difficult to say. I mean that they obviously wanted something so they could demonstrate the body type, but I, I don't know if going any further than that in advance would have changed anything or not. You know, like just from my, 
my observations, if I can pronounce the word correctly, um, from my observations of Play With This 2 in general and the perception of it, even before the Kickstarter, you know, one of the prevailing things was this is a lot of art. Where is a prototype? Like, where is where is a physical piece to prove that the design is in the works and it exists as something more than a drawing or maybe a 3D model? So, like, you know... Yeah, I think they needed to have more than one uh, prototype, even if they were all just 3D printed ones. Um, now, as for using Skullgren specifically as like the flagship of the line, more or less, yeah, we recognize it as a pretender reference. Someone who catches up to this through another channel will look at this and say, oh, hey, cool, goat demon man thing. That's kind of neat. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's that's it's... It's a specific thing to us, but it's also something that can hold a more general appeal. I don't think that itself was a misstep. I think I think the fact that we didn't see even the 3D printed prototype until, I believe, the final week of the Kickstarter campaign, I think that was a big thing that hurt it, regardless of who or what character it was designed on. I think it showed up at Toy Fair, but that, I think that's about the earliest it showed up. It was painted for the Kickstarter. That's what. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. There, they did have the 3D printed prototype at Toy Fair. But even so, I mean, they they needed more than the one thing this close to crunch time. Yeah, I was gonna say. Do you think <clears throat> they would have obviously benefited? Because I've read some of the comments and stuff. Uh, yes, I dared to read comments on the internet, but. Uh, <laughs> Brave, but brave some man. of them, some of them were reasonable. One of them I thought was interesting, and you know, uh, I think it's worth like it's worth discussing just a, just briefly. Is that one of the things that I thought was missing was the human pretenders? So if, if you were going to have more than one uh, prototype, physical like evidence that we can do this, <clears throat> that was something that I noted. That uh, basically the human pretenders, if this is going to be a pretender homage line, and um, and we can talk in a minute just about like how it diffused itself into this just pop culture thing, whether that was good or bad. There was a severe lack, severe lack of work on the human pretenders. They were effectively stretch goals. Is that correct? Uh, yeah, like the the initial offerings were the monster figures, mm-hmm. and then things based on the human figures would have been unlocked later, or you know, in the normal course of a toy line being developed and sold, they would have just been produced down the line regardless. I've kind of been thinking that with as much of a buildup as this had, because we we checked when we were writing this, and the first mention to play with this too we could find go back to last September. Mm-hmm. They've got so many. They've had so much time to build up so many designs. They might have been. I've been thinking they might have been wise to basically put all their designs out there and pull people as to what they wanted in the first wave, so that way they've yeah. been more focused. Yeah, you know, run some polls, figure out what the right mix of things for an initial wave to run a Kickstarter on would be, and then stick with that. Don't don't stretch goal the entire toy line in advance. Yeah, they they were they're kind of trying to use Kickstarter as both an entire toy catalog and an entire storefront, and neither one works very well. Now, let me ask you guys this: kind of stepping away from the toys, one of the things that uh, that play with this too was really high on at the beginning. And then I felt once the Kickstarter started, I personally felt like this kind of faded away or, or was kind of lost in, in, in the in the hubbub of the Kickstarter itself. The the roster of talent behind the actual 
toy line in the company, so to speak. Lots of like veterans of the toy industry, and they were really played up at the very beginning, and somewhat less so as we went along. It was certain they certainly weren't put at the fore um, as we got more bits of information. At least I didn't feel like it. it wasn't quite the same like energy. Of course, like the biggest one, the biggest lightning rod being Aaron Archer. Mm-hmm. Now I don't know like if there was something behind that, as as if like these guys were. Um, if there was some kind of like internal like effort to maybe downplay them, to not overplay your hand and, and effectively burn bridges or, or become a little too public in, in what you're doing. But do you guys, be it as it may, do you guys feel like they capitalized enough at the end of the day on the, the star power that was kind of behind the line? Like, you know, with the bring in sculptors and toy designers like we know from transformer stuff, there is a certain lead time before that work can be realized as an actual product. And I think at the stage that these people kept being added to the lineup, you know, anything that they would have designed and contributed to, it would have been a lot farther down than what the Kickstarter could have entailed. So, I mean, it kind of made sense that when they were getting to the point of actually launching the funding campaign, you know, they were, they would, turn around and focus back on the the core offering that they could actually deliver with the Kickstarter. Like I think if I think if that had gone through as planned, we would have gone back to talking about, you know, who was involved, who would be producing stuff later on that you could get examples of their work directly, uh, you know, get the stuff that they want to make as toys, not what, you know, they're under contract for necessarily. You know what I mean? Um, but just, just at the point that it came to, I think, you know, they had to focus on Desolator and Bloodbath and, uh, whatever, whatever other names they had for the recolors of those they were offering. Uh, I can't memorize all that stuff. There was 38 levels. Um, (laughs) (laughs) no, but like, you know, focus in on the stuff that you're actually preparing to make so people can get it and then talk about the future after that's over with, which does fly in the face of the stretch goal, but there you go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and honestly, I was thinking that in the, in the, uh, you know, related to the stretch goals, I kind of think that it, it may have, one of the things that may have been working against that is that, you know, a, as an artist collective, they kind of wanted to make sure everybody's stuff got represented in some way at some level. And that may have contributed to why there were so many different st- uh, stretch goals and head sculpts and all of that offered at once to make sure that, you know, the whole team got to contribute to this, but it was, it, I think it would have been better to just, you know, focus on a core product and, you know, wait for the next wave for the next team of artists to have their say. Of course, you know, these are people who have a lot of experience with the next wave being canceled. So I can understand why maybe they might not want to have done that. Well, and the thing is, too, and this is something that we touched on briefly on the article on T-Formers, you know, they needed a lower tier where you could get, like, an actual toy item. And one thing that we came up with an option for that was the, uh, you know, the the headshot packs that they've been uh, advertising, which were just, you know, isolated extra heads that are interchangeable with other toy lines also. You know, so, like, you know, have each of your designers get some of those set up, have those uh designed out and ready to be manufactured with the first figures so that yeah everybody who's involved gets some representation in it even if it's not a full figure you still get something that someone on that team that you have an interest in had their hand on literally 
Yeah, and and something uh, you know related to that, the, and I put it in the article. One of the things that bugged me looking this over is that okay, you have you know five tiers before you get to an actual action figure, mm-hmm. five tiers before the fifty five dollar level. Of those things, the only the the there's only one level that is actually a you know a anything close to a toy accessory the the rest are like t-shirts and artwork and posters and things and i think it might be a little bit early in this company's existence even though you know the people behind it are relatively well known in our circles mm-hmm. you know for for them to expect people to you know well i don't want to give this company an entire action figure's worth of money but I might want to get a T-shirt or a poster for this company I'm not buying an action figure from. Right. Yeah, that that just doesn't make sense. And then the other thing, and this is the a part where I started to realize how, you know, top heavy and how much they were aiming for the uh, the higher tier of uh, funding tiers. And this kind of bothers me is that the one physical accessory, the one item that is available below the $55 level at $15. You get a play with this two button with a five millimeter peg that it can be, that can be used as a shield. And with all the artwork on that page, I could not find a single illustration of what that button was supposed to look like. And, you know, going like bringing these two topics together, um, you know, they could, they can offer t-shirts, they can offer art prints and uh, buttons and stuff, but it doesn't have to be, specifically prominently play with this two branding on those items. You know, you have Aaron Archer. He is a well-known monster artist, you know, have him draw his rendition of Desolator or one of the other monster characters for a shirt print, have a little play with this two logo on there. That would be something that somebody might be interested in getting because, you know, it's a t-shirt with a monster face on it. And it just happens to have the logo and a little bit of like, you know, the website information on there. Uh, so, you know, you, you get your, your, uh, your t-shirt support, your, your branded advertising apparel, but you also get it in a format somebody would want it. And, you know, you can do that with the art prints with, uh, the, uh, the, the, uh, the desktop backgrounds. I think it was, you know, uh, you can have, I mean, it would probably end up adding to the pledge levels because they'd want a different button for every, uh, artist involved, but, you know, you could have a few t-shirt designs even potentially, you know, let a few of your artists do their thing for a t-shirt design and make that your uh, $10 or $20 pledge level. I think that's a great point. I think that's like, that's a super, super, super point. And I didn't even think about it until you, until you pointed out that, um, yes, their brand is actually, it's the one thing in the whole Kickstarter that has no equity in it. Everything else is a reference to something that we have equity in like you know like it's a reference right. to something pre-existing the only mm-hmm. brand that's brand new is their brand and it's on every bit of ancillary merchandise that's interesting yeah, and and to the like before i think we're kind of running into time here but before we end um you know you wanted to bring up it started with pretender uh references and then kind of started reaching into other stuff like personally i think that was actually good for the long-term health of the line because it's not just something that the Transformers people who are into third-party representations are going to go after. You know, anybody who has a memory of these 80s properties that they're drawing from, they're going to find something in there to be interested in. It's going, it, you know, it expands the uh, the market base 
as long as they can actually get to that stuff eventually. Um, you know, it 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 makes play with this too. It makes Lost Protectors kind of a mishmash from our perspective because we were introduced to it in a certain way, and that kind of engendered a certain expectation. But I think I brought this point up when we were talking about this the first time around too. You know that it's it's a strategy to get support behind it to start with, and then after that's settled, they can take it and do what they want with it. And those were the hints we were seeing as the coverage was starting to branch out a little bit. And I think, you know, if they can make this work, if they come back to this, you know, learn a few things restructure the campaign some and hopefully make their goal on the second attempt you know if this goes through and actually becomes a thing unto itself having that diversity having that wider range appeal that's something that's going to make the line work in the long term down the road totally agree uh rob before we wrap up is there any other um points or any other recommendations you would have when we see this again um, basically the, uh, the most important thing is that I do want to see this again. I think they have yeah. some interesting ideas. I, you know, I, I hope if they listen to this, they understand that this is all done in the interest of seeing it succeed the next time, because absolutely that, you know, that's what we want to see. That's what, that's what we want to happen. And I think with a little bit of streamlining with a with a little bit of a better understanding of exactly how granular you can and can't go on a kickstarter and with a little bit more tlc directed towards those lower t- uh, tiers they could have something that has a more broad appeal than just the 400 people they snagged the first time mm-hmm. uh i think this was a great conversation and yes i will uh i will ditto and double ditto that this was um all done in the best interest of what we think is a, a very valid idea and hopefully a Kickstarter we'll see again. So thank you everybody for listening. Um, hey, XV and Rob, thank you for joining me. Of course. Thank you no for problem. having us. And before we go, guys, I, I have to do my, my, my usual pitch that this show is sponsored by you. Uh, if you uh, go to tfradio.net, click on the Amazon link and do your regular Amazon shopping uh, don't have to buy anything extra or anything special, and you don't get charged anything extra. But once you check out, a few nickels and dimes go to Brian Kilby to keep the lights on. So go to tfradio.net, uh, click the Amazon link, do your shopping, and you help support the show. So until next time, this is John DeLuna for the RFC Minicast, and we'll see you.